heart of every man craves a great adventure, but life doesn't usually feel that way. Jesus speaks of narrow gates and wide roads, but the masculine journey is filled with many twists and turns. So how do we keep from losing heart while trying to find the good way when life feels more like a losing battle than something worth dying for? Grab your gear and come on a quest with your band of brothers who will serve as the guides in what we call the masculine journey. The Masculine Journey starts here now. Welcome to the Masculine Journey. We are very glad to have you with us today. And we're continuing the series that we started a couple weeks ago on uh, our favorite movies, not necessarily collectively, but individually. And the first one we had, Robbie did Lincoln. Yeah. Right, which was very interesting. I still haven't seen the movie, but I'm, <laughs> I've started it a couple times, but it's made me want to watch it. And then, Jim, you had The Princess Bride last week, right? That was what we had, and that compelled me to not want to ever watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't appreciate that it is your favorite movie. It, it was very cool when you explained it last week on, on what that does to make your heart come alive. Uh, put it in a different context for right. me. And that's really what we're talking about on some of this is what one person may watch and see something, uh, God speaks to the heart of another one through that same medium and, uh, or media. And Darren, you you have this week's show, and this is not really like a blockbuster movie. No, by any no. stretch, you're not going to see it on the trailers coming to the theater near yeah, them. No, uh, my guess is if if any of our listeners, and I, I just dare you, listener, if you're listening right now, if you've seen the movie or heard of the movie and watched it, um, man, I would love for you to you know send me a a, a text or a, a message about that or or whatever uh, an email. I doubt seriously any of our listeners have ever seen it. I had not seen it until just a few minutes ago. Right. And so everybody else here today has, has actually seen it. Um, but I've I've not seen it fully through, but it's got to be intrigued. It was very good, the part that I've seen. But can you tell the, the listeners a little bit about what the movie is titled and what it is? Yeah, the movie's called Point and Shoot. And it's uh, the story of a – it's a true story about a guy named Matthew Van Dyke um, who uh, actually joins um, a, a Libyan rebel war against Gaddafi and uh, helps overthrow Gaddafi. And he's uh, Matthew Van Dyke doesn't sound like a Libyan name, actually. And uh, he's actually a guy from Baltimore. And so the reason it hit me, though, is anybody that's familiar with this message and and this this radio show, um, obviously, one of the quotes that we've probably used as much as any is John Eldridge talking about the context of your life. It's supposed to be a love story but it's a love story set in the midst of battle. And so that's kind of what this story was. It didn't seem like that the first time I saw it, but it definitely is. And and Eldridge says that the context of your life is this love story, but it's a battle because it's the setting. The context is a long and sustained assault upon your heart by the one who knows or believes he knows what you could be, and, and yet he fears us rising up to become that. And so as I watched this movie, um, I began to see all of the aspects of the masculine journey just mm-hmm. laid out. Yeah, it was very, very cool to, to watch that and what I've seen so far. Um, why don't we go ahead and go to that first clip yeah, and we'll talk about... Yeah, introduce you to Matthew Van Dyke. Yeah, let's, let's learn a little bit about his story and where it began. Last fall, I met Matt Van Dyke, who told me he'd been home in Baltimore when revolution broke out in Libya. Rebels had taken up arms against Muammar Gaddafi. 
the country's dictator. When Matt heard about the uprising, he bought a plane ticket and set off to join the rebels. In his bag, he carried a video camera. So how did a guy from Baltimore end up fighting in a Libyan revolution? Oh, I don't know. Were there some influences growing up? Books I always read when I was a child were Choose Your Own Adventure book. My mother says that when I was a child, I always had a deep desire for adventure. I was raised on action movies. I wanted to be a CIA agent. And then I wanted to be a spy. Movies shaped a lot of who I was. But in reality, I was sort of sheltered and, and spoiled growing up. I was an only child of an only child of an only child. And I was raised in a house where my grandparents lived with my mother and I. I was just the center of my family's universe. But I lived at home in the basement through college. I didn't have many friends. I would spend, at times, 12 hours straight in front of a computer playing games. All my adventures were virtual. I first saw Lawrence of Arabia when I was in college, and it became one of my favorite films. These are not ordinary men. I don't want ordinary men. But I decided I wanted to study the Middle East. So I went to Georgetown University and earned a master's degree in Middle East concentration. But it was all just academic and intellectual. I had never actually even been to the Arab world. When I graduated from Georgetown, I really did not know much about the real world. I still wanted to do something that was extraordinary, but here I was in my mid-20s. My mother and grandmother would do my grocery shopping and do my laundry and bring it to me. Never really paid my own bills, no job. I had to do something drastic. And so I, I needed to you know, do a course correction quite quickly in my life. So I decided I'd just do it the, the hardest way possible, you know, a crash course in manhood. So Darren, how did how did he go about that crash course in manhood? <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a great setup to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you hear in there, right? You you hear that yearning that I want I I, I want to live a great adventure, and and I believe that, you know, Matt Van Dyke always thought that he had what it took to to live a great adventure but you hear in the story or what you don't hear in the story is about a father he's a fatherless boy mm -hmm. and the only child of an only child of an only child raised in his grandparents house with his mom and so they obviously did a pretty good job with him although at this point people might have said well you know he plays video games 12 hours a day and so you heard in there that he that he had uh, watched Lawrence of Arabia and that kind of made him fall in love with the Arab world. Well, he didn't he knew nothing about the Arab world. But for whatever reason, God used a little movie called Lawrence of Arabia. Maybe you've heard of it um, to to reach out and grab his soul, grab his heart somehow. And that made his heart come alive. And so he decides to go to the Arab world and he buys a motorcycle, decides he's going to shoot an adventure movie like his idol, Albie Mangles, who's this Australian crazy dude, kind of the, um, what was the, you know, this is a knife and oh, Crocodile Dundee, Crocodile Dundee before Crocodile Dundee, really. I mean, he was a real life Crocodile Dundee. And I think that's actually who the, the character is patterned after is Albie Mangles. But, so he sees this Albie Mangles guy making these adventure films, and he decides, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do it in Arabia. Um, well, it, it, it ends up being a whole lot more, and he gets over there, and um, oh, yeah, the guy has OCD. He's scared of sugar. He's scared of trash cans. 
He's scared of dirt. He washes his hands all the time. And yet, God still entices him some way, somehow, to go to a part of the world that most Westerners would think was a very dirty part of the world in actuality. I, I'm amazed myself. It, it, you know, John 10, the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. The war was going on for him in his childhood is, is the deception that you miss out on. But fascinatingly, it kind of validates our show on movies that movies are calling this guy out. It is, you know, and the thing that I thought was interesting in watching just a, a little bit of the interaction with his mom, obviously she loved him deeply. You know, he's, he grew up in a family that loved him well, uh, but sheltered him, as he said. And, you know, that, that sheltering made him really kind of just say, maybe to some degree, do I have what it takes? You know, made him question because he never got the opportunity to go on a big adventure or to go on some of these things because of a loving mother that said, hey, that's a little too risky. She wouldn't even lift, lift yeah, the don't, rocks. Don't let yeah. him turn over that rock. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't turn over that rock. Now, Jim, you've seen the movie. I have, and it was very powerful. And there were some things within it I identified with, and I'm sort of jumping ahead. But when he goes back to Libya, when he goes into battle, he's doing it. And I haven't been in battle. The closest I've been is a police officer, and there were moments there. But... He went for his friends. Mm-hmm. He went to defend guys that he loved. And that's a big part of the love story, too. Hey, Darren, we want to go ahead and try to get a second clip in uh, yeah. before we go to break. You know, while he was on this trip, he ends up falling over on his bicycle. Um, he, he wrecks his motorcycle and, and crashes and breaks his collarbone, and that's where we're going to pick this up. But after, after this accident, I became terrified, basically. I'd, like, call Lauren from the hotel room in Morocco and, and whine about how afraid I was to leave the hotel room. And she said to me, why are you such a coward? And that stuck in my head for years. I mean, whether it caused this whole trajectory or not, who, I mean, who can, who knows? Who can say? Now she probably wishes she had said it. But, um, so I, I end up, I went back, I got the bike. I wasn't just watching television anymore. I was finally having my own adventure. It was incredible. Some of the best days of my life. The more I did, the more I wanted to do. And the more I survived, the farther I thought I could push it. It was a very dangerous project. It's sort of miraculous that I even survived it. It was just one crazy adventure after another. In all my years filming hundreds of hours of footage, the most important pivotal moment of my entire journey I didn't even capture on film. And that was meeting Nori. Nori and his cousin were traveling through Africa mostly by foot. Uh, and Nor was a hippie. You know, he had like a lot of hair, talking about peace and love, and, and, and this was a very cool Libyan to meet for the first time, because this wasn't my impression of Libyans. Nori and I becoming friends was sort of a little bit unexpected for me as well, because, you know, I'm not a hippie. I'm sort of more uptight. I have OCD. But Nori, Nori's one of the nicest people that, that you'll ever meet, you know? He's like, I used to describe him as almost saint-like, like his mentality and, and, and his kindness, you know. He's one of the greatest people I've ever known. So, Darren, this, um, God's enticed him onto this adventure. Yeah. Right? And then he brings in other players yeah. along the way. And so, you know, what's that do to his heart here? Yeah, I mean, you, you hear him talk about the, the, the role of the beauty. Um, you know, she had actually encouraged him, his girlfriend, 
fiance at the time and later wife had encouraged him to go do this. And she actually says at one point, because I knew nobody else would do all the things that needed to be done for him if he would just go and do it himself, that mom wouldn't be there, I wouldn't be there. And so she kind of calls him out to get him to go. But then even after he's there, you know, he almost quits. And she says, why are you being such a coward? And I don't think Sheila's ever said that to me, but there's been many a times that those words could have been used. She used something nicer, perhaps, to say, hey, are you being a little, you know, soft here? So God uses this thing in the heart, and then he brings the beauty in to help support that and to encourage it. And when we come back, we're going to listen to where they, God takes that. Jim gave you a little glimpse of it, but yep. there's so much more and on how we unpack this guy's life. Go to MasculineJourneyRadio.org to register for the boot camp that's coming up. And maybe God's got a movie clip there for you that's going to speak to your heart. Hi, this is Sam with Masculine Journey. I'm here with my son, Eli. We're going to talk about ways that you can help support the ministry. One way you can go to smile.amazon.com. There's information on our website there on how to do that. Then you can go to facebook.com where you can click the donate button. Or you can go to MasculineJourneyRadio.org. Once again, look for the donate button. Or if you want to mail something in, mail it to P.O. Box 550, Kernersville, North Carolina, 27285. I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. God has set within each of us a masculine heart. Why? Why did he give you that heart? And what does the Christian life have to do with any of that? Come join Masculine Journey Radio for a boot camp, November the 1st through the 4th, based on John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. And when might that be again? That's a great question, Tiny Jim. November the 1st through the 4th. Go to MasculineJourneyRadio.org. What silver wings on my son's chest Make him one of America's best He'll be a man That was a, a good choice of songs there. I mean, that steps back a year or two anyway. Yeah, but what father doesn't want, you know, his son to grow up to be a man coming into what God designed him to be? Absolutely. And and brave enough to, you know, to fight for his friends and those kind of things. Yeah. And Darren, I was looking at some of the stuff you had made bullet points on here. And, you know, the first bullet point with that first clip was, you know, the enticement, the crash course into manhood. Yeah. He realizes something's wrong in right. his life. And, man, I got to do something because I'm going in the wrong direction. Right. Right. And so then, you know, God awakens some things in his heart yep. and takes him on that adventure. And, and when we left before the break, the beauty in his life really kind of calls him out. Right. But also he starts to get friends. And what's, right. why is it important that, that God brings friends into his life at this point? Yeah. In that last clip, you heard him talk about this guy, Nori, who was the pivotal point in his journey. And Nori's this hippie Libyan, um, you know, this this guy that loves God and and uh, loves others and and uh, talks about freedom and peace and all of those things. And and when you see the movie, you kind of get the, the impression that Nori is really this cool dude. Um, uh, the last scene in the movie is probably one of the most powerful with regard to Nori and his heart for peace and, and uh, um, forgiveness. Um, and anyway, yeah, he, he sets off on this journey. And, and at first he thinks becoming a man is going on a great adventure. And God goes, 
yeah, 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 that's the ticket, yeah, you know, and kind of lets him go on this great adventure, but God is obviously calling him to something a whole lot greater than this, and and so that that the next clip that we're going to see is where, you know, all of the sudden the Arab Spring breaks out, and in Tunisia, a man sets himself on fire for the sake of freedom, literally a martyr. Um, and then in Egypt, people start martyring themselves in Egypt. And then in Libya, people start martyring themselves in Libya. And he realizes that this thing is breaking out. And he starts watching his friends. And he still his friends still have Internet access. He's back home now. He's been home for a, uh, about five months. He came home for Christmas, I think. And this is like May, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood, March or May. And... Uh, he starts talking to his friends, um, and we can pick up the clip there. Four years earlier, I'd set off on this crash course in manhood. And now here was the Arab Spring challenging my very image of what manhood was. I was nothing compared to people that were going out on the streets at Tripoli. Their protests being returned with gunfire. My friends that I made in Libya. So I was talking to them. At this point, America wasn't involved, NATO wasn't involved, UN wasn't involved. One of my friends said, why doesn't anybody help us? I could not imagine sitting at home, watching on TV, my friends being killed. And the way and I would take the press to the front line. It was very strange, because when I was in Iraq and Afghanistan, I was filming soldiers, and now I was the soldier. Baltimore resident Matthew Van Dyke is armed and fighting with rebels in Libya just weeks after he escapes from a Gaddafi-held prison. When I saw myself in news reports fighting, it became validation that I was a real rebel fighter. Here it was for the world to see that I was where I belonged. Well, that's a pretty powerful statement, Andy, isn't it, that... Uh he's where he belongs right yeah um he he left that safety net and he was where he belonged and and i think he got a picture of the larger story you know he made those relationships with those guys who you know were for f- fighting for something worth fighting for freedom and he felt like he needed to you know be a part of it i was sitting here thinking and kind of comparing it to you know just back in bible times and, and it was like it would have been like the disciples saying, "No, nah, we're good." They loved Jesus so much, but not entering into the war. It was that. It was like whatever his heart beat for, they wanted to come in and and be a part of it with him. And it was that's kind of what I got out of it. Now, this was really about a, a story of God initiating a man into right. manhood, right? Is that what you? Well, saying? yeah, absolutely. We were we were talking about that as well. I mean, it's that initiation was a process. And like Darren said, it started out with adventure, and that's how that's the grabber. That's what, you know, I think it grabs a lot of us. We bo- we're bored with life. We don't want the status quo. We want some adventure. But then you get in the adventure, and then you realize that there's a purpose behind the adventure, and it's the hearts of men or freedom in this case, but really the hearts of men. So yeah, yeah, it's freedom and of one sort or another, right? It's either right. you know freedom literally in this world or uh, freedom of this world. Yeah, or freedom for others, right. um, you know, in this world or the other. And and Matthew Van Dyke, you 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 get the impression, uh, you know, you heard in that clip, 
after he gets out of prison that's part of the story that you haven't got to hear on the radio is he ends up in a Qaddafi held prison for six months and literally goes crazy and uh, begins to to have uh, psychosomatic events and and uh, audio hallucinations and everything else and finally gets free and the relationship of his friend Nori, and one of the things that's just so amazing to me in the in the movie, and I, I wish we had time to put this clip in, but we just didn't, was one of the things that he that he talks about was I, I wanted to go home. My girlfriend wanted me to come home. My mom wanted me to come home. People told me I should go home. But when my friend Nori came and picked me up, he had a uniform for me and he had a gun for me and he had my friends for me. And one of the friends that the day that he got put in prison, one of his friends that was with him the night before having the last supper, as his friend called it, ends up dead. And so he decides, I'm not going home. Uh, I'm staying. This is the most important thing I could possibly be doing is fighting for other people's freedom today. And so he stays and he, and he does learn that that adventure was calling him to a much greater fight, a bigger battle. And so you've got the the, the beauty to rescue is now a country. It's it's freedom of, of beautiful people in a country. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you've got the adventure to live, and you've got the battle to fight, and you've got the beauty to rescue, and, and you've got God enticing him all along the way. And, and in most movies we see, we kind of have to draw that out. And in this movie, Matthew Van Dyke goes into it kind of knowing full well that this stuff is in my heart. I'm not sure why. He probably doesn't realize it's from God, although – he becomes a much more spiritual person as he moves through this, as most of us would, I think. But, uh, yeah, those questions get answered. And, uh, you know, and, and one of the things that he learns is, is that we all try to make our own little self image. We all try to make this our own little worlds. And, and, uh, in the last clip that we have, he talks about that self image getting exposed. There was a day the day before Gaddafi gets um, killed, actually, the day before he's in a battle and his commander tells him, you need to shoot that guy over there. It was a sniper and he had the opportunity to shoot him. And so he tries, he gets in a window and he tries to shoot the guy. And uh, um, I won't tell you whether he hit him or not, but at the end um he begins to talk about this and ask this question and, and he struggles with it and we'll play the next clip and pick it up there were things i saw during the war injuries deaths that were difficult to deal with you can't capture it all you, know, you can't tell on a camera you know the randomness of death in a war everything's fine one minute people are laughing and joking and then the next something hits out of nowhere explosion people are dead I had this image of who I always wanted to be. And for years, I'd struggled to find that in myself and to become that person. But I just had myself filmed trying to take another human life. And what did that say about me? Well, I, I, I just can't, I can't imagine you know, being in that position. And as you hear this, you realize one of the things that we didn't really mention, there's a real enemy here. Oh, yeah. Right. And, you know, it's not like he has to wonder about it. I mean, they're literally getting shot at and he's seeing people die right beside him. Uh, as he talked about in that little clip there was that one day, one moment, everything's fine. We're laughing. And the next moment, somebody's dead. 
Yeah, I mean, he talks at the beginning of the film about, you know, some of his friends going into the hospital um, after getting shot by Gaddafi's forces and stuff. And people who went into the hospital after they get shot in war, they just disappeared. The hospital was just a warehouse Mm -hmm. or, or a distribution center, as you were. I mean, and so he knows how evil you know this place is and and how horrible these things are but you know that 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 conversation that he talks about the randomness of war you know one minute he's he's doing something the next minute he's asked to shoot somebody and kill them and up until that time he had probably killed other people but they were at such a distance away that he didn't know whether he did or didn't but in this particular case the guy was pretty close and Van Dyke goes on to talk about, you know, the fact that uh, when he went into this, he had hoped, again, kind of the adventure um, was that I'll be able to use my camera to document this stuff kind of as a journalist. But yet I don't want to be there just as a journalist, just documenting things. I want to affect the outcome. And he goes into it with this very good, noble thing that I hope the camera is more powerful than the gun, and so I'm going to tell myself that. And by the time he's done, he finally decides, you know what? The camera's not always more powerful than the gun. Sometimes bad people have to be repelled by force, whether that means being killed or killing someone else. We don't like that. That's not a clean answer. We don't. We especially don't like it in modern-day Western culture where you know Jesus was a pacifist and all. Jesus wasn't a pacifist, and even if he was, his father wasn't, as one of my friends says. And so, you know, sometimes people have to be repelled by force, and the enemy is always there. The thing that I get out of this story is that the context of our lives really is war. He goes to Libya to figure that out. We can sit in a studio as a group of Christian community, brothers in Christ, and figure out that Hey, this week was hard. Try to get a generator. Try to try to get a power inverter this week. It life is hard. It's a battle, and sometimes that battle is deadly. Absolutely, and and what you get to hear is this guy's heart coming alive. And I, I want to encourage you to go to maskandjourneyradio.org and register for the upcoming boot camp. It's November first through fourth. God's got something there special for you. I can't tell you what it is, but He will. We're just asking you to go do that and register. We're going to be there, and we're waiting for what He has to tell us. Thank you for listening this week, and we'll talk to you next week.